0: Welcome to the Sustainability Agenda podcast. My name is Fregel Byrne. Every week I speak to leading figures from the world of sustainability and explore the sustainability agenda in marketing and strategy, technology, innovation, investment and finance. We look at the latest thinking, what's working and the future and evolution of the sustainability agenda.
1: Sustainability refers to the ability of the corporation to produce not only financial performance, but also environmental and social performance through its operations, through its business model, and do so in a way that the socio-environmental performance is complementary synergistic to an organization's financial performance. The leading companies do not, by definition, right, they don't expect to be led by anyone. They take their own initiative. They change their operations. They change their structure, their governance structure. They change their degree of transparency and accountability of the entire organization. They adopt long-term horizons. And they, as I mentioned, they lead towards uh, this way. And and in the process coming up, often enough, with better products, uh, higher profitability, while having a positive impact in the broader socio-environmental context.
0: I'm very pleased today to be speaking to Professor Yanis Yanow. Yanis is a Professor of Strategy and Entrepreneurship at London Business School and a Sustainability Scholar. His research focuses on sustainability and corporate social responsibility to understand the ways in which companies can and do contribute towards building a sustainable future. Much of Yanis' research is focused on how investors respond to companies that integrate environmental and social issues into strategy. He also studies the different factors that drive or hinder environmentally and socially responsible strategies. Well, thank you very much, Janice, for taking the time to speak to the Sustainability Agenda podcast. It's a great honor to have an opportunity to speak to you and discuss latest thinking in sustainability, some of your research and some other ideas.
1: Thank you very much for having me. It's truly a pleasure.
0: So can you tell me a little bit about your work, Janice, and kind of research that you've been doing?
1: Right. So uh, in my work? Uh, I'm a strategy scholar and I'm trying to understand the extent to which and how uh, the business organization is contributing towards a sustainable future. So in this respect, I explore... Uh, the way uh, that companies decide to engage with society and, in particular, the ways through which companies integrate environmental and social issues within their strategies and within their business models. More specifically, within that broader domain, I try to understand the performance implications of companies that integrate these issues, that integrate sustainability, in other words, into their business model and their strategy. Uh, And when I talk about performance, I, of course, mean financial performance, but also in terms of how capital markets perceive, assess, and evaluate these integration efforts by companies. That's one stream. The second stream tries to understand why do companies engage in social environmental issues to begin with. In other words, what are the drivers uh, that that push or uh, uh, hinder companies from engaging on uh, on these issues? And trying to understand why do we observe so much variance, in other words, so much heterogeneity in the corporate ability to achieve uh, socio-environmental performance. In other words, why are some companies better or worse, at achieving environmental and social performance. So in that stream, I look at institutional factors, regulatory factors, all the way down to uh, cognitive path, uh, factors. In other words, even the, the way that managers think about these issues. So broadly speaking, that is, what I, uh, that, that is my sustainability agenda, my sustainability uh, research agenda. The drivers of and the implications of uh, efforts by corporates to integrate environmental and social issues.
0: Great, great. Very broad ranging interest there from the you say, the performance aspect to the drivers. And it's uh, very, very interesting to have an opportunity to talk to you because it seems to me that quite often there's a, a deeply embedded idea that there is a trade off between sustainability and profitability. That there's a cost of sustainability, which, which somehow means that profits will be less. And sometimes also in terms of the product dimension that maybe the performance might be less or indeed there might be a higher price to pay. So there's some deeply embedded ideas about sustainability. Just looking at the first of those in terms of profitability, what does your research and the latest thinking show about that?
1: I would say that the latest thinking in sustainability has moved beyond that trade-off. And what do we mean by that? It used to be the case that the term sustainability referred to predominantly environmental initiatives by the corporation. Increasingly, though, the word sustainability is used in order to basically talk about the sustainability of a competitive advantage and therefore the ability of the firm to survive not only in the economic sense but also in the environmental and the social sense. In other words, sustainability of a company, in my mind at least, and I think increasingly so in the minds of, of many academics and practitioners, sustainability refers to the ability of the corporation to produce not only financial performance, but also environmental and social performance through its operations, through its business model, and do it, do, do so in a way that the socio-environmental performance is uh, complementary synergistic to an organization's financial performance. Therefore, uh, if you take the example of green products, for instance, um, and, and and you're right in, in, in saying that the dilemma is usually should I meet the environmental credentials uh, and therefore have a more expensive product, or should I go with a brown product that is cheaper in other words the trade-off is between environmental credentials and cost so in by this definition of sustainability a company that offers an expensive green product has not really addressed the underlying trade-off because it might be a product that is sustainable in its environmental domain but that is probably a uh, uh, a, a product that is not sustainable in its financial domain. In other words, the, I would say that the modern movement is sustainability. It's about exactly identifying these trade-offs, which we can broadly define as trade-offs between stakeholders. This example is between cost and the environment, but you can imagine there's a range of other trade-offs. For instance, uh, uh, the the trade-off between the the time it takes to implement this strategy and the patience of one's shareholder base. So do I, the short-term versus the long-term trade-off, in other words. So sustainability is increasingly being understood as a mapping of a company's stakeholders, a profound understanding of the trade-offs that are, that exist across those uh, uh, stakeholders. And impor- importantly, uh, when we talk about integration of these issues into a business model, it basically means that we come up with a business model that efficiently and profitably reserve, uh, sorry, resolves these trade-offs. So in the product example, a sustainable company would be a company that has a product that at the very least meets the quality standards of a brown product, and potentially sustainability is an avenue through which the product may deliver, for instance, uh, more features, more relevant features, better features, or even better quality uh, sometimes. So it's it's at the heart of sustainability to resolve those trade-offs rather than see it as an either-or. Uh, uh, type of uh, uh, of approach. I think that would be probably the the what I would call the the latest in, uh, thinking and the latest understanding uh, in the sustainability world. In the again, just to 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 uh, perhaps go broader, uh, this is at the heart of what we consider business strategy today because it basically says that what we considered as a competitive advantage before, it's radically changing. It is not just about the financial financial performance performance. Sometimes uh, achieved through uh, shortcuts, right? We have seen the VW case, uh, for instance. It's about truly uh, engaging and truly delivering social environmental performance. And how do you do that? Well, is by truly understanding not only uh, as a company, not only understanding only your economic context, but actually understanding the social and the environmental, and therefore uh being better able to identify the trade-offs that i talked about earlier
0: right that's very interesting and i i think you've done some research which shows that companies can do both can pursue sustainable strategies in a deep way and be successful financially at the same time exactly so once
1: you resolve those trade-offs in a way that is profitable in the in a Way that is uh, efficient, I and mean, in the way that speaks to the socio- socio-environmental demands, in addition to the let's call them broader economic or, or, or uh, um, yeah cost demands, then 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 yes, and, and, and I mean, is is this is not a small challenge. Right, uh, it's it's easier for firms to say, oh, oh yes, the customers do not buy green and expensive products, therefore we're going, not going to produce them. In other words, hide behind the fact that some customers may not be buying um, this these types of products. Right, the leading companies are, do not, by definition, right, they don't expect to be led by anyone. Uh, it's they, it, they take their own initiative, they change their operations, they change their structure, their governance structure, They're, they change their degree of transparency and accountability of the entire organization. They adopt long-term horizons and they, uh, as I mentioned, they lead uh, towards uh, this way and, and in the process coming up um, often enough with uh, better products, uh, higher profitability while having a positive impact uh, in the broader socio-environmental context.
0: In its purest sense, you pointed out that it's a challenging thing to do, to do in a real sense, because there are real trade-offs to do. But when succeeding, it seemed to be a win-win situation. But yet, it seems that many companies are still quite a way along from achieving this or down this sustainability path. What are some of the impediments, would you say, stopping companies really embracing sustainability in this way? Right. So
1: there are a number of different, as I would say, categories, or in, in other words, different companies are at different stages of their sustainability journey. So uh, to this day, of course, there are companies that say, well, sustainability issues are not relevant to what we do. We're just going to ignore them. Uh, there are other companies that explicitly um, may be greenwashing. They may perceive the sustainability move- movement as a PR exercise, uh, and, and, and that's all they do. Um, There are other companies that start slowly, uh, perhaps more cautiously, with uh, efficiency initiatives. So we're talking about environmental management, waste management, water management, and so on. Um, Initiatives that speak directly to the uh, bottom line, but they're not truly Uh, strategic they're perhaps more operational in many ways there are necessary but perhaps not sufficient conditions uh, to create an advantage based on sustainability and i would say that there is another uh, group of companies that sort of almost mindlessly, uh, they look left and they look right and they see what the competitors are doing and they end up with a rather, uh, sometimes uh, not so homogeneous or, or strategic portfolio of sustainability initiatives, which they adopt simply because everyone else does. Uh, and finally, we see uh, a smaller set of companies that perhaps begin to perceive uh, the integration of sustainability into strategy in the way that the, I described earlier. In other words, as part of the core purpose of business, as part of the the, the, the attempt to build and establish and maintain a competitive advantage. The, and those are the initiatives where we go beyond risk mitigation, we go beyond operational kind of uh, um, updating in terms of the efficiency measures, but indeed we go into uh, a core Business, Uh, but I would like to to, just to note something here because sustainability sometimes is judged by double standards. Um, This is not uh, this is not atypical to what happens sometimes in strategy. For instance, if you think the nineteen seventies. Uh, back then, everyone thought that diversification is the way to go, the large conglomerate is the way to the future, and we saw a range of di- of, of diversification initiatives, uh, many times not thought through uh, all the way, many times non-strategic, but done because everyone else was doing it. Um, and what did we uh, end up having? Well, we ended up having what we call the diversification discount. In other words, putting companies together in a conglomerate ended up destroying them creating value, and, of co- and consequently, we have the de-diversification wave of the 1980s. As a result, only some of the companies to this day, for instance, Cisco, know how to do M&A and, diversi- uh, and diversification uh, uh, quite well. So now I think we we're sort of going through that in sustainability, people thinking, oh, it's, uh, everyone is doing it, we should be doing it as well. Uh, everyone is trying to, to integrate, let's see what our competitors are doing and try to do that as well. Uh, so we're going into that phase in which uh, everyone knows that it's important and everyone tries to do what everyone else is doing, uh, but only a few companies have cracked the code. Unlike diversification decisions, however, uh, the recent research that uh, I did with, a colleague at, uh, the, uh, with colleagues at HBS, uh but others have shown as well, is that adoption of sustainability, or uh, rather integration of sustainability, is not only a Monday morning decision, in the same way that when a company diversifies, they you know consider targets and then they just go and acquire one. Um, integration of sustainability involves fundamental change in the organization, and that's Perhaps where um, the impediments uh, come in, the serious impediments. For instance, uh, it's, it, we're talking about changing a, a, an organization's corporate governance. We're talking about having a person on the board that's uh, that's liable. Sorry, sorry, sorry. That is accountable for sustainability. We're talking about uh, changing managers to reflect financial as well as non-financial metrics. Because, as in terms of behavior, you you um, uh, Uh, sort of get what you incentivize. Uh, We're talking about changing from short-term to long-term thinking within the organization. We're talking about uh, radically new levels of transparency in terms of reporting not only on the financials, but also reporting all all this ESG, the non-financial financial factors, understanding their materiality and putting those disclosures out there without yet having, for instance, uh, audited uh, standards or standardized measures across companies and across sectors. Um, So because it entails this, uh, I I would argue, uh, uh, never seen before Process of, uh, of of change and radical change manage- change within the organization. It's, uh, it's as as radical as a change in the identity of the organization. Think about the the leaders. Uh, uh, in in business today like uh, Unilever like Marks and Spencers and so on they they really go all out understanding that integration sustainability is an identity change so as with every change management process there will be pockets of the the resistance there will be functions that do not get it there might be functions that may be adversely affected in the short run there might be disruptions of roles and responsibilities if there's a change in in incentives some reorganization or internal restructuring is important And perhaps the most important challenge is sort of um, uh, communicating uh, amongst the employees and amongst all the members of an organization that, well, it is practically the purpose of the organization that changes through engagement in sustainability through integration of sustainability into a company's uh, business model. So I would say those are the, 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 uh, the sheer sort of challenge, the sheer uh, of, uh, the change is, is perhaps one of uh, impediments, but again, it's perhaps uh, a differentiator between the best and the good and the very good or the, the bad companies
0: uh, in terms of who is able to achieve this. Wow, that's quite a uh, multi dimensional perspective. There are many dimensions to this, performing, truly integrating sustainability into the business. As you said, there are many companies who are maybe at the efficiency stage, looking for cost savings and things like that. Companies are on different places on their sustainability journeys. The companies that have cracked the code of this multi dimensional approach with taking into account governance, the board, incentives, and so forth are fewer. How do you get there? Because there are so many dimensions here. It is, as you say, a different you know, purpose in the company. It's you know, effectively a different identity. What are a few of the, the levers that business leaders can use to execute this change?
1: Right. Uh, to, to, to be honest with you, this is, uh, we're now pushing against the boundaries of what we know, academically speaking. In other words, um, uh, because the literature, the academic literature at least, has focused a lot on whether there is a link between sustainability and performance, and to what extent does sustainability contribute to in- uh, better financial performance, um, and, and also because the availability of data, uh, higher quality data, international compatible data across uh, countries, industries, and so on is is appearing only in recent years. Um, we haven't had the chance as academics and as, a, as an academic industry, if you like, uh, we haven't had the chance to explore the dynamic processes through which this happens, it, 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 because we do not have enough years yet, because we, we don't have enough data yet, because we don't, sometimes we don't have enough access to companies. But the, the big question mark, in other words, the change process to go from a low to a high sustainability organization is something that, quite frankly, has not yet been uh, being explored. Uh, exactly because we're talking about an, an organizational identity change. It involves so much beyond strategy. Right, because it's uh, uh, if if, uh, uh, if you believe what I was telling you before about how how radical of a change sustainability is, uh, well, there are few, if any, departments within a company that will not be affected, uh, and currently, perhaps not not enough companies are um, uh, undertaking such radical change uh, in order for us as academics to go in and explore these issues however we do know uh, as i was mentioning earlier that there are some organizational pillars that would uh, that seem to be seem to be good starting points for instance the idea of integrating uh incentives for employees and for executives that are based on financial as well as non-financial metrics is a good starting point. Creating a board-level subcommittee that oversees the sustainability uh, initiatives, creates accountability as well as monitoring at the highest level. That helps as well. Um, secondly, the, um, the transparency of the organization, the idea that uh, an organization needs to be open and engage with its stakeholders and not do so at-hoc, but, but rather uh, uh, put, to case, put, put in place uh, processes that are more structured. How do you engage with the stakeholders? How do you make sure that you understand their demands and expectations? How do you make sure that they understand you capa- your capability To meet them, to what extent are those engagements uh, public and transparent to the stakeholder themselves, to your board and to the public. In other words, explaining uh, to to all the stakeholders, to society perhaps, uh, how you're engaging beyond the strictest economic um, uh, domain. Uh, and, and to do so, uh, to, in, order, in, in other words, to, to understand your stakeholders means that you also have, an, you develop an understanding of what is material and what is important for your industry, for the business that uh, you are in. Um, that That's another um, important step. Uh, another uh, thing that we have already seen companies do in their process of transforming is managing Uh, this trade-off between short-term and long-term. It is a well-known, and and, and many people have said this already, but the story of Paul Polman and uh, uh, abolishing quarterly earnings guidance when he became CEO is an example of how uh, not only adopting long-term horizons, but perhaps a more uh, uh, active management of one's uh, shareholder base uh in a, because ideally if you're going to to undertake this change management process you would like to have a shareholder base that affords you uh this kind of a longer term ha- uh, horizon to implement and quite frankly if you take short term uh, uh uh trading out of your stock you 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 decrease uh volatility of the stock as well which is what happened in in, in Unilever after uh, after what Paulman did um, or the uh, and it's not just about uh, you know the reporting look for instance um, the the CEO of Starbucks uh, and, and it's a well known uh, I guess viral video by now on how he responded to people that raised questions about the company's gun control policy or about the company's uh, support for equality uh, uh, and, 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 and marriage, same-sex marriage in the US and so on uh, so the uh, the the, uh, the the public and the tr- and the transparency and the very obvious management of one's shareholder base, which is of course is intrinsically linked to uh, leadership. Right, it is important to as with every strategy, of course, it's important to have the CEO support. But in many cases, we see the CEO being the leader um, on these issues. And and. And and as always the CEO is the one that will uh sort of uh paint the new identity of the organization. So the the role and the buy in, buy in and the the ability of the CEO to communicate these values uh and these objectives and these goals both internally and externally, it's uh, it's it's also quite important. So I don't think we have an understanding of the sequencing, but I do think uh, in, in in other words, how do you do step one, step two, step three, uh specific enough? But I think we know the uh let's say the three, four organizational pillars, as I mentioned before. Uh so it's the governance, it's the transparency Accountability is the stakeholder engagement and also the, uh, the, the, the long term versus short term decision uh, management of the decision making. Uh, those are excellent starting points, and we know that uh, organizations that have done that in the past uh, and, and they became more, more sustainable. Um, some of my, uh, my work shows are the ones that uh, um, outperformed over a one or two decade sort of uh,
0: horizon the heart of this is this question of short-term and long-term. And I think what you were saying there about longer-term investors is quite interesting in the sense that I suppose sometimes it appears that we hear a lot of talk about short-term investors and so forth, but investors aren't homogenous, are all the same, and presumably there's some groups that have longer-term perspectives. There can be, I guess, some kind of self-selection or a better matching of investors and the kind of investors that a company needs to pursue in line with particular strategies.
1: What we found in the research that I mentioned earlier, I mean, a very crude sort of classification of of, uh, shareholders, is to talk about um, uh, uh, transient versus dedicated shareholders. So what that means is is look at investors on the transient side. So those are the ones that uh, trade more often and have more diversified for portfolios versus those that uh, have more focused portfolios and trade less often. So what we did find in that study uh, with the colleagues at HPS that I mentioned earlier uh, is that uh, the high-sustainability companies tended to have more of the dedicated um, uh, investors, whereas the low-sustainability companies, so what we perhaps call the more traditional way of competing, uh, w- was more about the the um uh the, the more transient investors the ones that are more diversified and traded more uh often uh so in that respect not all investors are the same and there are subcategories of investors uh depending on their well um uh, uh, on, on their uh sort of appetite for holding uh, stock longer or shorter that seem to select uh, into the sustainable versus the traditional model of the organizations um, one method that we found and uh, we explored in this paper through which one can sort of manage or build those expectations is analyst calls uh, so we in this study we explored what the company actually talks about uh, in the calls with uh, with analysts. And even there, we found some very important differences. So first, uh, the high sustainability companies have a better balance in terms of the way they speak about financial and non-financial metrics. Uh, And that, of course, is consistent with the idea that they account for all of their stakeholders Uh, because typically non-financial metrics uh, refer to measurements that relate to stakeholders other than the shareholders. So uh, consistent with the broader idea of integrating those issues at the core of their business, these companies uh, were uh, not only more likely to measure these things and measure them better, but indeed to communicate these things in their um, analysts' uh, calls. Uh, Secondly, we also saw not only the distinction between financial and non-financial, but we were able to codify the language uh, and distinguish between a short-term versus a long-term focus. Uh, And again, in this course, uh, you can see that the high sustainability companies have a more um, uh, balanced perspective between the short-term and the long-term versus the more traditional companies that... uh, uh, focus more on the short term. So uh, and it's important here to see, though, that each of the pillars that I mentioned here and I mentioned before is that uh, it's it's not uh, sufficient on its own. It, each one is necessary and each one complements each other. In other words, yes, of course, you can talk to your analysts about fi- non-financial metrics and the long term, but unless you actually have accurate measurements, unless you're, uh, objectively speaking, the quality of your data is better, then though that talk it's just talk it's not uh it's, it's not credible so the fact that you might have a person on the, on the board a subcommittee incentives you measure well you have stakeholder engagement all those uh, uh, elements come together in order to reinforce the credibility with which you speak to your shareholders you speak to the analysts and you convince them that uh what you're doing is actually not symbolic only it's not greenwashing but it's 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 core to to the business so all those elements come together to reinforce each other and importantly reinforce the credibility in many respects and in how companies are communicating with with their um uh shareholders and uh and in another study that we did earlier, we asked this question we asked the question of how do analysts perceive and evaluate companies with high Sustainability ratings, um, And a lot of people would say that, especially if you go back to the 19, early 1990s, that, well, the financial markets did not care. The financial markets uh, did not even read these things. Well, what we did find was actually that the situation was uh, worse than that. In other words, it's not that they were only indifferent. Uh, but what we found by analyzing uh, the analyst recommendations, you know, from strong buy to strong sell and so on, is that in the early '90s, analysts were more pessimistic about companies that did well on sustainability rati- ratings. Uh, let me repeat that. So we found a negative association between their recommendations and uh, good sustainability performance which basically means that in the minds of analysts, uh, engaging in these socio-environmental issues was considered as destruction of shareholder wealth. It's only in subsequent years, and some, as the decades went by and in the early 2000s, that we see that uh, negative effect uh, uh, diminishing. And in the early two thousand again, that effect becoming a bit more positive. In other words, uh, uh, we, we, we can see the transition, slow transition, but steady transition between... Uh, the understanding that any um, involvement with sustainability is distracting shareholder wealth to the idea of a stakeholder focus and a stakeholder understanding of the firm. And therefore, engagement with these issues uh, 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 being associated with more optimistic uh, recommendations. And and this is consistent with the broader story in that it's not, I mean, we find this... uh, trend on average among analysts, but it is the most experienced analysts and analysts, analysts that come from the best brokerage houses, in other words, the analysts of higher status within the community that were the first ones to stick their head out and switch from the negative uh to towards more neutral or or, or at some point positive uh, recommendations, which is consistent with this idea that if there's something new, it's the ones uh, that it's the actors that have perhaps more capital uh, in in this case higher status that might be willing to make the switch first.
0: Wow, that's fascinating, and uh, it's a positive trend moving in the moving in the right direction. I'm interested well, in. I'm an um,
1: academic, so uh, <laughs> uh, yes. Try to see this impartially uh, in, uh as much as I have my personal views, but this is the data talking. It's not me telling the data what to say and, and indeed it seems that that the trend is isn't that it's in that direction
0: That's fascinating. You talked about this idea of sustainability being integrated into the business. I'm wondering what that means for managers within the business. I know that. Sometimes the old style CSR and sustainability was sometimes at risk of being a bit of a silo or isolated. And I guess over time, sustainability is becoming part of everybody's job in a business. Can you talk a little bit about that and some of the challenges that managers face?
1: Yeah, I think uh, the uh, uh, sustainability is an interesting domain in the sense that it sort of started as a low legitimacy, low credibility sort of domain. In other words, uh, you know, it's you would often hear the words of, "Oh, these are the tree huggers" and so on and so forth. Uh, but with the given the, the the challenges that the world is facing today, given the social unrest in so many countries, given the increasing uh, an existential threat that climate change is posing, it's very difficult, I think, today for any CEO. Uh, or, or any executive to to ignore these issues. So that has made sort of uh, I would say life within this function a bit more uh, easier in the sense that these issues are now recognized and are on the table and their are daily preoccupations uh, all, all over the place. Now the 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 uh, a number uh, so 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 the uh, my colleague uh, um, George serafim uh, has an HBR on this kind of describes. Uh, sorry, it's, it's, a, it's a book chapter that describes this process about the role of the chief sustainability officer. Uh, and again, although we do not have, yet have systematic research because uh, literally re- events are evolving in the field as we speak, um, what we do understand now is that uh, this process begins more of a uh, 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 an efficiency sort of contribution at the beginning. In other words, an environmental management system that contributes directly to the bottom line which then gives credibility to the sustainability people in the sense that we speak. Our initiatives speak directly to the bottom line. Uh, so they—they they are the internal leaders in any organization that, through at the beginning, through simple persuasion t- tactics and influence tactics around an authority, um, are able to uh, show the efficiency gains and start talking in terms of profitability. And perhaps sometimes they themselves learning the language of finances and, and uh, 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 profitability in order to communicate their. Uh, that impact uh and uh, typically are those those are the ones that are assigned more and more responsibilities in the organization and uh, go on to take leadership roles in in sustainability i think the uh the story of Mike Berry at MNS is fits across those broader lines, and I've heard him many times uh share that story and I think that is a more a uh, generalizable story. It's a story about building internal legitimacy, learning the language, and bridging the language between typically the sustainability function and, say, the CFO or the finance function. Uh, proving the case in terms of the efficiency gains. Um, and then it's kind of making the, the the step from an understanding regarding risk mitigation and operational issues to value creation. Because one once one can see the benefits on the former step, it becomes relatively easier to see uh, the the potential benefits on the other. And that's exactly where we see the new business models coming in. By the way, for instance, um, we hear a lot about these days a lot these days about. Uh, the idea of the, the circular uh, economy business models, which uh, are tries uh, through a reno- uh, an innovative and a science-based, uh, an engineering-based uh, way to uh, to to change the way we understand production and the way we understand consumption, and even the way that we understand reverse logistics. Uh, so those are the the the, the, the implications in, in in many respects.
0: You, you mentioned the uh, question of ESG, materiality of ESG issues, they differ across industries. And I'm wondering, how can companies, you know, best identify these? And what kind of questions should business leaders ask? Well, the, uh, the
1: good news on the materiality front is that this is an issue that relates directly to the company's disclosures, to how the companies report. So uh, we, we now witness uh, many initiatives, many uh, key initiatives uh, by many stakeholders in order to arrive at these reporting standards. Uh, and for instance, one that I know very well is SASB, uh, that has already released uh, materiality metrics for pretty much all the industries. So uh, this is, is already done in many ways uh, as the world is moving towards uh, auditing standards. Um, this is important also, and, and actually um, our, one of my co-authors, Bob Ekholm, is, is is advocating about this idea of a materiality statement together with the financial accounts. Uh, it's it, To be honest, it's hard for me to think how a company could not do this. In other words, uh, it used to be the case that the discussion used to be about um, the fiduciary duty and that companies may be bridging fiduciary duty by uh, engaging on ESG or sustainability issues. Uh, But now the discussion discussion has shifted and most people would, I think a number of people would say that, well, it is a breach of usually duty not to consider uh, these factors. Um, Now in terms of how you arrive at it, uh, obviously organizations like SASB, but also others uh, undertake this kind of more quantitative analysis in order to understand which issues are most important uh, across uh, industries. But the company itself should be able to do this through its stakeholder engagement processes. Remember, I mentioned before that stakeholder engagement is a, uh, uh, a key pillar of, uh, of how a company can move to being a high sustainability uh, company. The, the stakeholder engagement process, the idea of understanding demands and expectations across, across stakeholders, bringing on the table opportunities and risks, uh, across both sides, across the firm and its stakeholders, uh, I think it's a very uh, fruitful way of understanding, potentially prioritizing, and therefore understanding the materiality of these issues uh, at the firm. So stake- two-way stakeholder communication, I think, is, is, is key.
0: Right. And how challenging is that? I mean, how different is that from the traditional approach to initially shareholder communication, but broadening out to stakeholder communication?
1: Right, so I think it's, uh, it's not just a difference in communications. Uh, what we argue in some of our work, and uh, I apologize if I, become, if I become a bit technical, but the idea is that it used to be that uh, people were thinking of organizations as you know um, uh, property of, uh, or, or an asset of the shareholder, and therefore the job of the boards of directors is to monitor management essentially so that management does not cheat uh, right, in terms of generating profitability for the shareholders, so in that sense uh the it's what we call the principal agent problem, so the managers were the agents of the owners, the principals, which is the shareholders, and therefore the board was charged with overseeing and monitoring that. The managers were not "quote unquote" uh, cheating on the owners. However, uh, that uh, and and you you can imagine that under that model, shareholder is the supreme being. Everything happens for the shareholder, uh, and uh, the the stakeholders are any other non-shareholding stakeholders are secondary. But now, and and this is a discussion that's also uh, taking place in the legal domain, is that well, actually, legally speaking, even the board is not only accountable to the shareholders. Indeed, the board is accountable to the corporation. Uh, Why is that different to the the previous model? Well, it's different because um, the second view conceptualizes the organization as uh, a, a, a team, in other words, multiple stakeholders that make investments. In other words, uh, the employees bring their time and their effort, and they get compensated. The shareholders bring the financial capital, and they get compensated with a return. The suppliers bring the raw materials, and they get compensated in terms of their prices. In other words, there is a range of stakeholders that make firm-specific investments. According to the team production model, the role of the board is to be accountable for the corporation, and basically that means. It doesn't manage vertical relationships between the shareholders and the manager, but instead it oversees horizontal relationships across all the stakeholders and is therefore accountable for the corporation, which basically means that the board uh, might, in the short run, sacrifice the interest of any one uh, stakeholder, including the shareholders, in order to create a larger pie for everyone in the long run. Now you can see this, this is the, 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 what we call the team production model of the corporation, which is quite different from the principal agent model, but I think it's extremely useful in terms of understanding not only the role and responsibilities of the board of directors of a company, but also in terms of understanding the place of the uh, shareholder. In other words, uh, have certainly all organizations should uh, be profitable and maximize profits, but admitting that says nothing about how one go, goes about achieving that how, how the, the the process through which that that's being achieved and sometimes an, a, 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 a sort so, sort of an obsessive focus on that has led to other failures like uh, corruption like uh, uh uh cutting corners uh unethical practices practices that harm the environment ha- uh, uh, uh practices that harm the community har- uh, practices that car- harm employees and so on uh so uh the i think the idea of, of thinking about corporations in, in a team production model uh seems to be making make more sense uh going forward and is consistent with the idea of uh, integration of sustainability as part of the core business and financial and socio-environmental performance being um, synergistic
0: uh, to each other. Wow, it's very and, interesting.
1: Yeah, uh, and at the end of the day, by the way, the the distinction that we did in the in the work that I mentioned earlier with my colleagues at the HBS, that's how we chose the high versus low sustainability companies. And what we did show there is that over an 18-year horizon, these companies with with a model that looks more like the team production model as opposed to the traditional model, in other words, the high sustainability companies, uh, they perform much better uh, in the long run, both in terms of operational performance, return on assets, for instance. or return on equity. Uh, and they also perform better in, st- in terms of stock market uh, performance. Uh, and, and you can you know, choose your favorite uh, in the, uh, measure of uh, performance, whether it's the ROE, the ROA, the stock market, whether you want to uh, you know adjust for market momentum and uh, 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 risk profile and so on over the horizon, no matter how you see it, uh, we find a strong outperformance uh, between the uh, for the high sustainability companies. So it's not that assigning uh, um, responsibility uh, or, uh, of, the, or, or of to the corporation by the board is sacrificing shareholder returns. Quite the reverse, the research seems to suggest that a, a team production or something that resembles a team production model is actually delivering more returns for in, for the shareholders in the long run.
0: That's very interesting, sustaining the, the, the argument there and showing the financial returns. It's very interesting. So what are the implications for the board of the team production model? Because the majority of boards won't be working like this today.
1: Um, well, as I mentioned before, it's, uh, well, they, uh, it's questionable whether they do or they do not work like that today. Uh, there's a, very, a leading scholar. Her, her name is Lynn Stoud. Where she's at Cornell and she has written extensively about this issue. in, ha- in fact, she has uh, in addition to her academic publications, she has a fascinating book called The Shareholder Myth. Um, I-, I would definitely recommend that to anyone to read. Uh but uh the, the the implications is exactly what I described earlier, uh, in terms of the four organizational pillars. Uh, because think about it, if you care about the stake, all of the stakeholders. You're going to have a a board subcommittee and you're going to incentivize your executives to account for them. It means that you're going to be uh, engaging with them. So the engagement is not going to be ad hoc, but there will be a stakeholder engagement process, which is the second pillar. You're going to be more long-term in your orientation and you're going to communicate that to your investor base and your analyst, which is the third um, the third pillar. And you're going to be more transparent and more accountable because the stakeholders are going to require uh, more information and and, and uh, um, higher quality information. So the, uh, the, the theoretical argument that we make in that paper is that uh, the, these, these four pillars characterize, in a sense, not only the responsibilities of the board, but how a team production model will translate In terms of an organization that, uh, in many respects, manages and understands all of its stakeholders, and therefore, going back to sort of my opening definition, becomes sustainable, not only in the financial sense, not only in the financial domain, but sustainable in the broader socio-environmental sense
0: in a way that is complementary and synergistic to the core business that's so interesting and it's clearly an area where there's a lot happening at the moment as you say you're researching new questions with new data and important work you're doing here and thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today it's been a fascinating discussion and i wish you the very best with your ongoing research thank you very much for having me it's been a pleasure thank you for listening to the sustainability agenda podcast i hope you found it interesting Please sign up at the sustainabilityagenda.com website or on iTunes to make sure you don't miss any future episodes.